0: and iShine founder, solo parenting expert, and all-around foodie, Mr. Robert Beeson. Join us each week as we explore and engage with some of the most intriguing, inspiring, outrageous, and awesome parents in the world. This is Brilliantly Brave.
1: Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Brad Matthias, and we are recording in Franklin, Tennessee, and I get the honor of introducing my co-host today, Robert Beeson. Hey there! This is fun. I love doing this. Yeah, so we're we're doing uh, two special podcasts that are Get to Know the Host podcasts. These are sort of set aside, not part of the weekly releases. Uh, we just wanted to give insight uh, into the stories and, and the testimony behind the two guys that are hosting uh, Brilliantly Brave. And so uh, I did mine. Robert interviewed me. And it's my turn to interview him Um and I, I think Robert's story is a quite profound and unusual. Uh, a lot of people get into Christian ministries and, and doing Christian things uh, usually through the church or through pastoral ministry or some sort of established process. Robert is one of those guys who didn't do it the way everybody else did. Robert came into ministry from a completely different path and uh, it started in South Africa. So I want to introduce Robert that way and really give our audience just a, a sense of the diversity of your background. Um, well, yeah, definitely doing
2: things differently is 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 kind of <laughs> the, the premise, but I was born in Hollywood, California. I moved to South Africa when I was six years old, schooled there until I was 16, came back to California, and um, came back my senior year in high school, and you can imagine what a train wreck that was after having been out of the country for you know all those years and then trying to find my way wait wait
1: wait! That, no no no! i gotta interrupt it's not just that you were out of the country that long you were a missionary kid
2: i was a missionary kid yeah so you're yeah. a missionary kid that's living out of the country and you just have no concept of what's i would get you know what i'll take that back i had a vague idea of what was happening in america because halfway through that 10 years in south africa we came back for one year And, um, we had furlough actually wasn't for a full year. I think it was like eight or nine months. And in that, in that time I did go to school. And so when I went back to South Africa after the sixth grade furlough, um, I kind of burnt into my memory what American culture was like. And so when I came back my senior year, I was prepared to get into my senior year thinking the same thing about American culture that I did in sixth grade. So I showed up for my first day in my senior class with bell bottoms, velour shirts and a Dukes of hazard lunchbox, because that's what was cool in sixth grade. They didn't tell me the culture changed
1: between sixth grade and twelfth grade. So yeah, that was quite the that was quite the yeah. turn. And you've told me that story several times, so I know it left a mark. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did leave a <laughs> mark. It did. But you know what? I think the thing that that it really helped build in me is the adaptability. Like I, I think missionary kids especially because they have to be they have to go back and forth and they don't really belong in a culture necessarily they're just kind of always adapting to the culture i think it gives a unique perspective living in a culture because you're actually you're you're not
1: you're not native to it Mm -hmm. and so i think it's actually really helped me in my life that's interesting yeah so uh you you come back from really being raised in south africa uh son of Christian parents on the mission field and you come back to America at a very sensitive time in your your development and and it leads you into the music business Tell them how you got to Nashville how did that happen? well I um, I, I got right out of high school I started
2: college and got a job to pay for college in advertising and marketing and I worked my way up through the marketing company very quickly it was a fairly small marketing company and um, at, you know a year and a half into it, I was interviewing people for positions under me that had degrees in marketing. And I'm like, why am I going to school? Like, I've am i already got the job that I want. So I just, I dropped out of school and just went full time into, you know, marketing. And I was involved in music. So um, I was in a a Christian band in in Southern California. So I had a lot of friends in the Christian circles out there. And so I started doing, I started my own marketing firm. that turned into a t-shirt printing firm for labels and, um, and and bands that were touring and among other clients. And that kind of grew. And I, I got asked to do some marketing for a larger marketing company in Seattle. And that was, we focused on promoting things to MTV and different radio stations, building street teams that turned into helping launch a label for Maranatha music. Um, this was all completely not orchestrated by me, um, and then, you know, what happened is when we got involved with Maranatha Music, we really retooled our entire business to just focus on... Because it's sexier being in the music business than, than printing t-shirts, you know? So oh, yeah. it's like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. Way this cool. looks cooler.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's not quite as labor-intensive as far as manual labor. So I basically in my just naive state said, okay, well, let's drop some of these other accounts. And, you know, we had a chemical company that we worked for that did, that created grout and we had a radio station and whatever those were and real estate people. Um, that was not the priority. So we moved our marketing company to just focus on music. And when Maranatha decided, you know what, we don't want to do this music label anymore. Um, I was left without the clients that I had, I had a staff and, um, I just went upside down. And so everything, Everything that I've been working towards that I thought I was working towards, um, just collapsed. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, I've just spent the last year developing a business plan for starting a label. I'm just going to take those same, same, that same plan, the same ideas and the same relationships. And I'm just going to start a label. I don't know what else to do. Like, so I, I started a label and, um, got distribution back in Nashville and, um, them got bought by the the company that's distributing me, and they
1: moved me back to Nashville to run the company that I started in California. Right, and so for our audience, um, you know, Seattle is one of those uh, sort of hubs of creativity, and and, yeah. and uh, definitely some some significant music in the last thirty years has come out of Seattle. Um, Robert, I think the first band you really developed and signed was a little-known band known as Jars of Clay. <laughs> Is that right? No, that's true. That's yeah. one of the
2: first artists that we released on the label.
1: Yeah, so for our audience, if you're not familiar with Jars of Clay, just Google it. Uh, very big band, arguably one of the biggest bands ever in Christian music. Um, you quickly established a reputation for being able to pick bands, to, to spot talent, uh, to direct the development of different artists here in nashville and you ended up being a a senior type vice president at provident music group is that right that's
2: true yeah i I had a great a great career there and um got to work with a lot of outstanding artists and um that went beyond essential which was the label label that i started and um provident started growing and and so i took over senior vice president of anr for all the labels under provident for some years and um And that grew the the roster of people I was able to work with, and some of the people that I kind of looked up to, like Michael W. Smith, was someone that I you know I'd known about for a long time, and um, was a fan of his ministry and his authenticity. And so I got a chance to, once I was put into the senior vice president role, to start working with him and developing. You know right. his music, and then Casting Crowns came along, which was different because the original vision for Essential was more alternative rock youth music. And then when I took over the reins of multiple labels, I had to kind of branch out. And you know, while I was there, we signed Casting Crowns, and and that was very different than Jars of Clay. But it was it stretched me. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was it was an awesome awesome career and and great time professionally.
1: Right. So in the middle of all of that, uh, really, uh, the, the heyday of Christian music, you were at the top of the top. You were dealing with the third days and the casting crowns the Michael W. Smith, the jars of clay. You were, you were uh, in many ways, one of the more successful and influential guys in Nashville. And that's, that's really uh, well-known within the industry. And then right in the middle of that moment, uh, some things changed in your personal life that mm-hmm. led to a real crisis of faith. Share with our audience just quickly about that because I think it's fundamental to why you're here today.
2: Yeah. Um, I said, th- you know, it was a great time of my life professionally. I said that on purpose because personally, um, I was bankrupt and um, not financially, but I had, as sometimes happens in any industry, when things, when success comes quickly. You start chasing that and it starts becoming your identity. And mm. you start um, believing things about yourself based on the performance that you give. Um, and and I neglected the responsibilities at home. That I, and that What I mean by that is, uh, it wasn't like, there was no m- real moral bankruptcy. I didn't like go off and have affairs or whatever, but I started like living hard during that time. I was mm. drinking way too much. Um, I, I just, my essential family, my, my business family became kind of another family. And so I spent a lot of time with them and which meant that I didn't spend as much time at home and, um, on the books, on the surface, you would say I had a great life because mm-hmm. I had a great family, great kids, but it, underneath it all, it was just, it, I call it, it was like a powder keg mm. and it was just building and just waiting for it
1: something to ignite so at that point in your life you had three daughters yeah uh you had a wife Mm -hmm. um you you were living in the nicest neighborhood in franklin tennessee on the biggest in the biggest house on the highest hill essentially (laughs) well yeah i haven't measured but it was it was life was good right yes on by all accounts yeah you were on top of your game that's Um, true and in in a moment your life sort of imploded personally i decided um that my time at Provident
2: was done. I wanted to build again. Um, three months after making that announcement, I woke up one morning and um, my wife of 13 years was gone. Hmm. And there was no note, there was no, there was no call. I just had no idea. We had been having significant problems in our marriage for about two and a half years. And um, so I was sleeping upstairs in our guest room and I came down one morning and the door to her room was open. And um, it was just, you know, it's one of those moments that you know mm. life is going to change. I can't describe it. But if anyone listening has been through anything like a divorce, there is this moment where you're going, okay, this is where it gets real. And there's a new normal that just started. And, and so she left. And, um, and she left the three girls with me. And she disappeared for a couple weeks. We didn't know where she was. I didn't know if she was, you know, alive or not. And um, because there was some serious addiction issues with her. And so, you know, you don't know. When you're dealing with addicts, you don't know if anything can happen. But eventually, you know, we found out that, that she was alive, but she had just made the decision that she was moving out and going on with her life, and it didn't include me or the girls. So I was forced to... Um, figure out what it meant to be a single dad at the same time as what am I going to do professionally? Mm-hmm. So those two things, those two identity factors, like swam in the same waters during that season.
1: Wow. And so, you know, it was in that sort of turbulence, uh, in that chaos of finding yourself a single dad, uh, three young daughters, mm-hmm. um, just adrift. Yeah. Uh it, in the waves of life, if you will, uh, you're in that moment and you had an experience with God that was profound. Without a doubt. Yeah.
2: Tell us. It was the most, that season of my life. Um, and it was many, many moments. It wasn't just one, one, you know, experience, but I started realizing, um, how much God was in tune with me, even though I wasn't in tune with him. Mm. And, I started realizing um, how important and how, how huge the responsibility of raising my daughters was. And those two things meshed together really like sat with me for probably nine months of just, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. My, my goal was to start another company, a music company, but then being a dad of three girls and, and watching a solo dad. Um, watching how much media they were consuming, um, it it just ignited a passion in me that that hasn't gone out since. And and that was helping kids understand their true identity. Because the truth is, I was 40 years old. I didn't know my true identity, mm. and so I was forced to kind of under start understanding the truth of our my identity. At the same time as as i was trying to help my daughters understand that and then getting to know other people that had done research on on this the tween age group i realized that there's not much that's happening for this age group and it's largely ignored by the church in secular settings it is incredibly important because it's a, a huge business sector but within the church there's there's not much for this tween age group and so knowing the research and 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 knowing the opportunity it was it, it was an opportunity for for me and i'm going to say us as my daughters and i to launch a ministry called I Shine and uh that was focused exclusively on ministry to tweens yeah
1: and and that's uh, the part of the story where i met robert uh, approximately 2008 2009 um i, I became a part of the iShine story. And uh, the company that I worked with at that time, Bima Media, based out of Sherman, Texas, became a sort of the functional funding partner yeah. of the iShine brand and ministry. And that has led to so many things being created over the last decade. Uh, from a TV show, yeah. uh, six seasons now yeah. of iShine Connect, which is – you know, I think nine networks. Yeah. Uh, it's a tween sitcom for Christian kids. Yeah. All over the world. Uh, f- record label came out of that. Um, yep. Jamie Grace, okay. a famous Dove winning uh, artist. And there's art, you know, there's there's
2: actors in, in Hollywood right now that sure. came through, you know, our, our doors. And we have books and Bibles and CDs and DVDs and tours. And, and that's turning into bigger events. And, um, uh, the key factor is that that was born in a broken place. Right. All of that came from a broken place, right. and um, that's where I started to realize that um, our identity cannot be formed by what we do or our performance. It has to be. It has to be secured in the place of understanding how much we need a father, how much we need our God, and and then trusting Him to. To make the path right i'm a control freak when it comes to i'm a, well control but driven freak like we got to get this done we got to do this and and i had to release the reins i mean there was a number of things that happened to me that that forced me to go i'm not in control of this i'll do my best but um got it's it's up to god to to make and i and i truly believe that i shine everything that's happened with i shine is a direct result of god being faithful not to me but faithful and turning i mean yes he's faithful to me but turning something broken into something impactful. I mean, that's just, that's the story of redemption, right? I mean, right. Yeah. without, without death, there can be no resurrection. Resurrection. So right. yeah. there, at a certain point you have to die to yourself. And so that's what I, that's been the key pivotal point for me is just realizing that I'm not capable of doing this by myself and I'm not called to be the perfect dad. Um, I'm called to, first of all, understand how much I'm loved by God and then to hopefully transfer that love or transfer that passion for finding our identity in
1: God to my kids. And, yeah. Uh, so that, that the, the last decade of your life has been sort of this journey that yeah. you made largely alone as a solo parent, as a dad um, without a wife, and you chose to stay single uh, long yeah. after your marriage evaporated uh, walking through the the years of early adolescence and adolescence uh, by yourself, but in the last few years, um, things have changed for you. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I um I was single for eight years, and then met um, someone that was just a perfect um, partner for me in life, and uh, got married about two and a half years ago. It's hard to believe it's going to be three years this year. Yeah, um, but. And she has three boys, and I have three girls. So you know, the Beeson bunch. But, um, yeah,
1: we we call Robert's family the Brady bunch uh, because yeah. it's exactly as the '70s sitcom. Pretty much, yeah. yeah.
2: So it's been it's another adventure, and um, and through through all of it, I, I've just been so blown away that you know, there is a constant that we can count on that that God's in God's sovereignty, His He is trustworthy and faithful to take care of us, and also to take care of our kids. Um, they are His kids first, and it's that's not lost on me. You know, being a single parent, a lot of times you feel like you're out of control, and that on a daily basis you're damaging your kids because you don't know the right things to do. And mm-hmm. um, I had to surrender even that and go. I have to trust that. God, these are your kids. And and, um, you've said this before that for some reason you chose me to be their dad. And so I'm going to trust that I'm in the right place and they're in the right place, but knowing the author of both is you. And so you're going to have to help walk Mm -hmm. us through them.
1: Yeah. And so for our audience, uh, Robert uh, brings this incredibly helpful insight. Uh, into the struggles of solo parenting, uh, blended family. Yeah. Um, and so as we address and respond to these different interviews and ideas on Brilliantly Brave, we're bringing a diversity of viewpoint. Um, it's not just the traditional uh, Christian home that's represented here. This is, this is the viewpoint of a, of a single dad and then a blended family. right? Uh, and so I, I think God has used that to help us identify and connect with a variety of different parents who are experiencing life in a variety of different ways. Right. Yeah. Well, the family nowadays is so multifaceted. I mean, it looks
2: it looks so different. And um, so I think being honest and transparent about what we're going through is going to help other. Our prayer is that it will help other people. Just in the first, the first thing is to help them know that they're not alone. There are other people that are going through yeah. this, and that they should not feel isolated. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I just want to encourage our listeners to support Robert. Uh, He has his own uh, sort of sister uh, podcast to Brilliantly Brave. It's known as Solo Parenting. Uh, You can find out more information at the Brilliantly Brave website and or iShineLive.com. And so, Robert, thank you for agreeing to co-host this show. And I know our audience now knows you. (laughs) <laughs> so it's my honor. I'm so I'm so excited to be involved with this. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to Brilliantly Brave. You get to know your host. Thanks. God bless.
0: Parents, remember, even if you may not feel brilliant or brave, you are. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7, and 13. This podcast is a service of iShine Ministries and the Tween Gospel Alliance, all rights reserved. Donations to Brilliantly Brave are tax-deductible at iShineLive.com. Review and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or on our webpage. And read our blog and connect with us at wordpress at brilliantlybrave.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brilliantly Brave.
1: What our kids believe is going to define them for a lifetime. According to George Barnum, by the age of 13, what a kid believes is what he'll die believing. It is a fantastic resource that I have used as a pastor in my own home church, and I have been impressed. So, check it out. Check it out.